0: Thank you, Pastor Steve, for uh, keeping us up to date and leading us and also uh, lifting us in prayer. Uh, If you didn't uh, guess that by now, my name is Eric and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm just privileged to be able to share with you here this morning on this Palm Sunday. Uh, Today, I want to talk about a phrase that carries all kinds of power and all kinds of meaning, but we use it quite casually. Now, there are some phrases that carry all kinds of power and meaning that we don't use so casually. We're very careful about it. Like the phrase, I love you. We don't reserve, we only reserve that statement for when we mean it, typically. Now, you could go to a stranger on the street and look them in the eye and say, I love you, but they might call the police on you. (laughs) But there's other phrases that have the same amount of, of depth meaning and power but but sometimes we use them casually like one example if you were to find someone on the street and or uh, reunite with a friend and say hey how's it going now you don't want to actually know how it's going it's just a common casual phrase you use when you greet someone how's it going but if on chance that person would go into great detail about how it's going, you kind of start to feel a little bit awkward. That's certainly not what you meant, even though that's exactly what you asked. Uh, there's other phrases, uh, such as maybe more recently under, uh, uh, under controversy, which, which is thoughts and prayers. We could throw that around very ca- casually, but it makes one wonder, are they really offering their thoughts? Are they really per, uh, persistent in their prayers for us? So, the, the, the phrase that I'd like to, to talk about today is a phrase that maybe as people of faith, we have been lifting up more recently, and specifically as a result of this coronavirus crisis and pandemic. The phrase is God is in control. God is in control. What do we mean by God is in control? I I think that when we usually talk about this phrase or use this phrase, we oftentimes are saying something that we don't mean and we're not saying something that we actually do mean in saying it. And if I've confused you, I'll explain. A lot of times when we say God is in control, a lot of times we mean something different such as I know and recognize and proclaim to you right now that I am not in control. I'm being affected by this. It is overwhelming me. It is outside of my control, and I don't know what to do except to look to God, and so I'm stating that I am not in control. So sometimes we make that statement. We are not in control. Even though that's not exactly what we're saying, that's kind of what we mean. But there's another side of this where we might be saying something in this statement that we actually don't mean at all, and that is that, that God is somehow controlling. Now, this uh, no one likes a controlling person And so I think when we say that God is in control, we we certainly don't mean that God is controlling, that that God is pushing every little button and, and causing and being the cause of everything, especially the things that cause us harm. So what do we mean when we say that God is in control? When we ask this kinds of questions, we have to go to to scripture and and to see what God's word would say to this. And you might be surprised that this phrase, God is in control, is nowhere to be found in the Bible. And in fact, if you do a word search for the word control, uh, all throughout the New Testament, you'll see the phrase self-control. And even in the Old Testament, if there is a reference to control, it's referring to a person's ability to control their self particularly when they're, they're tempted or when they're feeling wayward or, or all of that. But there are sort of other ways that give us an idea of what we might be meaning to say when we say that God is in control. So I, I want to turn to one of those examples in the book of Daniel chapter 4. And if you have your Bible at home, you can turn to that. Daniel chapter 4, and particularly with this character, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was an emperor in the Empire of Babylon, and Babylon took siege over Jerusalem, and in that siege decided to carry off many of the, the leaders and wise people back into exile. Into Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had this this plan that he, they were going to train and and teach the language uh, to these wise and learned uh, people from Jerusalem so that they could one day be scribes and be uh, go among some of the other uh, magicians and other gurus that the, the king had at his disposal and so he took four specific people, Daniel and three guys that you'll, uh, you'll the names might sound familiar to you, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all had their Hebrew names, uh, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave them also uh, Babylonian names, and those are the Babylonian names. And the story goes that, that as they're going through their training uh, and, and all of that, uh, there were tests of, of faith. And one particular, you might remember this story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide that they're not going to worship a statue that Nebuchadnezzar made for himself. And so he was furious. And in fact, (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar's fury and anger comes out a lot in this story. And he throws them into this fiery furnace and they're not burned up. And so as a result of that, Nebuchadnezzar becomes aware of the most high God and worships him but he's not fully there. His heart isn't fully humbled and surrendered to the most high God. And so he um, goes through a series of, and and receives a series of dreams that, that God gives to him. And he's tormented by these different dreams. And he's going to throw out all of his scribes that could not interpret the dream for him. But Daniel comes forward and he describes the dream for him and in this series of different dreams daniel uh, interprets a dream for nebuchadnezzar to describe that one day he in, until he becomes humble before the lord he is going to uh, he is going to become like a, a madman living out in the wilderness and then after that time after that time of madness is done he's com- he's completely humbled and he's brought into a right mind and full recognition of who God is and this is what he says in Daniel chapter 4 he says it says at the end of that time I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored then I praise the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, "'What have you done?'' These are the words lifted up by a man who was exalted, but then brought down to full humility. This is sort of like when we make the statement, God is in control. But as you can see by now, there's a lot more wrapped into this. And I I think the statement, God is in control deserves a second look So at the very least, if we continue to say it, they wouldn't be casual or empty words. Or maybe we would reserve to say something different, and I might offer you an alternative to say, especially in in response to all that we're going through during this time. I'd like to go through with you some biblical ideas and concepts about who God is that, that might go into the statement God is in control or what we mean by it specifically. And through that, come to a deeper understanding of who God is and why we proclaim the kind of thing that we do about God, especially in these times of crisis. The first is that God has power. God has power. And along with that power, he has sovereignty. This is a kingdom or political term that he is sovereign and his rule is widespread He is a ruler with that power. He he has authority with that power. But you need to know that there is a big difference between authority and control. God has authority and he rules throughout the earth. I think we're reminded of God's power during this time. Maybe if you're like me, you've been humbled because you have been greatly affected by the coronavirus crisis in some form or fashion. Some of you that contracted the virus are reminded in your own sickness. Some of you that maybe lost your jobs, you're reminded that this power greater than yourself has taken effect over your life. But some of us maybe that haven't been so directly or, or so intensely affected by all of this, are are still reminded of this. I'm still trying to figure out how to work from home. My office, I'll call it that, is a nightstand pushed into the closet of my bedroom, and I'm trying to to make do with all this. And and if you think that I'm productive in a home with a three-year-old, you're sorely mistaken. (laughs) It's tough, and I'm reminded all the time That my life has been affected by, all of our lives have been affected by this, by something much more powerful than ourselves. And we're reminded of this, but also at the same time know that this power is, is a temporary or limited power, just like we, the power that we have. This virus is natural. It it comes from natural means, and and anything natural in the universe is a dependent thing. It can't exist outside of itself. You see, there have been people all throughout the ancient world, all throughout time, that have made the mistake of of looking at a natural power, such as the wind or, or the earth or fire, and they see that power and they see that that, that power has, uh, has the power to affect human life. And so they give it a deity. They, they give it a, a divine name and they, and they treat it as if it's a God. But we know better now. We know that these natural things, they follow a certain order. We know that these natural things are limited and they ex- experience the same death and decay that we do in our own human bodies These powers are limited in and of themselves. And and one day we'll see that. One day we'll see that this coronavirus doesn't have the the same effect on our lives anymore. And we'll realize in that moment that, that that power that once had an effect on our lives has its own limitations and is temporary in its own right. But did you hear the words of Nebuchadnezzar in his full posture of humility That God's power is everlasting. It is not limited. It is fully extended. And it's not temporary. It lives forever. I love the scripture in Psalm 147.5. It says, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. God has great power. And I think we're saying that a little bit when when we make that statement that that God is in control and that he has dominion and that he has authority and that he has rule. I wanna expand this statement that God has power now to something else that I think we mean when we say that God is in control and that that is that, that God uses his power to create He uses his power as a creator. He uses his power to create or to design. We often can see the effects of natural design that that are powerful forces in this world that take effect in our own lives. We were created to have hunger and thirst as human beings. God designed it in that way and we are fully dependent on that. God exercises his power through his creation and through his design, but he doesn't stop there. God also is involved in our lives, is active in the world, and he uses that creative power also to recreate or reform or to influence the world around us. Now, to what extent, I don't know, and I can't answer that. I'm not God, but I know that he's active. And I know that he is involved. It's just like uh, the book of Nehemiah says in chapter nine, verse six, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. I once had a friend who was conflicted about the creative power of God because he was dealing with some mental health issues and he was recommended by his psychologists and his counselors to take medication for his mental health issues. But he had other people, friends of the faith, that wondered maybe if he, in taking medication, was limiting or not... Uh, being faithful to the power of God over his mind and, and over his life. You see, he had created a difference or uh, a division between God's power and nature. But what he failed to understand is that natural power is God's power because God is the creator. And I remembered my, reminded my friend that uh, when he takes that medication, the elements and the things that were used to make that medication is all natural. It's created elements formed together to make that medication. And the doctors that were caring for him, the, the psychologist and the, and the counselor that was caring for them, who created those beings? Who gave them the intellect and the, and the drive to have the knowledge that they do to be able to help my friend? It was in that moment he realized that there was no difference between the help he was getting through medication or through his doctors and the power of God at work in his life. You see, God has power and through his creation, he uses power to create and to recreate and to reform and to influence in our lives. So let's expand that statement a little bit more God uses his power to create, but he also uses this creative power purposefully. See, God is a God of order and a God of design. He uses it orderly. He uses it mysteriously. Take a look at 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9. It says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own, look at that word, purpose and grace. God does what he does on purpose. He has a plan, an orderly plan, that cuts through the chaos of our world and he's committed to see that purpose through. Now, we don't know ultimately how that works out. The purposes of God are so far greater than what we can can see or or understand. We, We don't know the fullest extent of God's creative power at work in purpose throughout the earth. And so we're conflicted sometimes when we're confronted with some of these crises, when we find suffering and we're wondering where, where God is and, and why God hasn't shown up. And those are tough situations. And they cause us to really question God, question his ability, question his will or, or intent. But God's will and purpose is, is also a mystery to us. We don't fully know it. It's like knowing and realizing something that wasn't anything new, but, but something that we had discovered that had been there all along. We, we have those moments all the time. Just a funny example for me. Just a year ago, and I get really weird and proud about these silly little things, but about a year ago, I discovered a new way to peel an egg. Now, peeling an egg was The most frustrating experience for me because you're just peeling one little shell off at one after another, and it makes a big mess, and sometimes it takes the egg with you. But I discovered something new. It was a little life hack that I got from YouTube, among so many other things that I learned because I don't know how to do things, so I look up YouTube. And I realized that you could could crack the, the part that has a little bit of space at the bottom, and then... Uh, And then what I do is I roll it gently on the table with my hand and then the shell just peels right off. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. It was like this life discovery. I had to share it with everybody that I knew in that moment that I had discovered something new. Had I discovered something brand fresh new? No. That way of peeling an egg probably was old news to somebody else. It had been done before. I just had realized it. You see, even though God's purposes are a mystery to us, even though God's ultimate ways are are so far greater than our ways and our, our capacity for understanding, just because we come to know something doesn't mean it's the final chapter. Just because we're confronted with something like our pain and our suffering doesn't necessarily know, mean that we know all there is to know about the mysteries of the world and what God is ultimately doing in a picture far greater than our lives, our small and insignificant lives can tell. You see, when I say that God has a plan or, or God has a purpose and it is at work, it's so far greater than what we could see. And I know that doesn't stop the pain sometimes. And I know that doesn't end the suffering. And I hate that we have to to suffer on this earth. I hate that we have to go through crises like this. I hate that the the world is full of of compromise and and sin and decay. I, I hate that. But it is our reality. And it's a reminder that our viewpoint and our experience is so limited we don't know what's going to come around the corner next we don't know what's going to happen but God knows and God has a purpose that is ultimately unfolding far greater than ourselves but a purpose and a plan that God invites us into and that's where we arrive here on this Palm Sunday You see, in the first century, the people of God were were straining for hope. They had been ransacked and sieged so many different times. Their temple had had been desecrated so many different times, and it was easy for them to lose hope. But God kept giving little prophecies and spurts and, and beliefs about a Messiah, a king that would come in and rule once and for all. And so in the first century, a common Jew living in society would be reminded that there was this emperor Caesar and this empire Rome that had all the power, that had all the effect and influence over their lives. But suddenly, there were rumors of a man named Jesus who had a power unlike anybody else, a power to heal, a power to raise from the dead. And Jesus, after many years of ministry, a couple years of ministry, makes his way into Jerusalem. Jerusalem used to be that that place where God lived and and God dwelt, where where God was seen to be on the throne holding all the power. But it had been occupied by a different foreign and, and pagan power. But Jesus rides in, on a colt, on a donkey, creating this image that the people of that day knew very well. You see, when someone rides into the city, it's as if an emperor or a general from the army would ride into the city after they had already gained victory in battle. This was the image that Jesus was creating and the image that the crowds captured in that moment. And it caused them to come and to worship. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they took palm branches and waved them around in celebration. And they took their cloaks and they laid them out in front of him to walk on, much like you would roll out the red carpet for all the people in Hollywood. Hosanna, Hosanna is the king in the highest heaven. Do you know what Hosanna means? Hosanna w- was a phrase taken from, um, from Psalm 118 that was often rephrased uh, or was often sung and, and, and proclaimed during the Feast of the Tabernacles. It literally means, save us, we pray, or, or save us, we beseech you, O God. Now think about that for a second. Lord, save us, we pray. that's, That's a desperate petition for help. It's not a cry of celebration. How can those two intentions come together in that same phrase, that one word, Hosanna? You see, as Jesus was walking and parading into the city of Jerusalem, as a victorious general already or prepared to make victory for all eternal space and time. The people captured in that moment that God was unfolding his plan of salvation, that God was going to do what God had promised to do, that his power and his purpose and his will was culminating into this one, one moment, into the person of Jesus Christ, who would later, though they didn't recognize it fully, would later give up his life to die on the cross and and raise on the third day to, to finally stand victorious over evil and sin and death. They captured, maybe in part, but captured in that moment as Jesus was writing in that God was going to do what God was going to do, that God's purposes were being fulfilled in this moment. And that as God was doing this, as God's power of plan of power was unfolding right there in that moment, the shouts of Hosanna were also, don't forget about me. Don't leave me behind as you do what you're going to do, O oh Lord. Save us. Save me, we pray. You see, in that one word, we have the confidence and the assurance and and, 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 and the assurance of what God is capable to do in his power to recreate and make all things new and to see his purposes and plan through. But also in that moment, the humility out of our own humanness to cry out and say, save us, God. Save us. Now, is that what we mean when we say that God is in control? Maybe. Maybe we haven't thought it through completely. And that's okay. That's what this is for. But I wonder, in replacement of that phrase, God is in control, I wonder, at least today, at least this week, would you lift up a Hosanna prayer? Lord, save us, we pray. We know you have the power to do it. We know that you have a plan and a purpose and that your plan and purpose is to make all things new. Save us as you're doing that. We pray. We beseech you. Would you lift up Hosanna prayers this week? Make it personal. And make it specific even. Make Hosanna prayer a, a category of prayer that you start to lift up in specific ways. Maybe for those that, that need healing, physical healing in this moment. Maybe for people that are, are, are feeling helpless and hopeless because they lost their job or filled and overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. What, what kind of a Hosanna prayer could you lift up in that, in that moment? How about a Hosanna prayer for the world for the end of the coronavirus crisis and pandemic? What would God lead you in praying a Hosanna prayer today? Both the confidence of God's power and his plan to make all things new and the humility to beseech God in prayer, Lord, Lord, Save us as you're doing it. Let's pray together. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord God, we beseech you. We cry out to you. Fill us with great faith, To be confident and assured that you are seeing your plan through in your creative power. And through the unfolding of your kingdom, remember your love for us. Remember your grace for us in Jesus. Gather us up as a great shepherd would his sheep. Save us, Lord. Save us from the evil of this world. Save us from the corruption that we see played out day by day and save us from from ourselves, from the sin that we act out and the harm that we create towards others. Save us, Lord, we pray. And help us, Lord, Lord, To every new day, take off our cloak and lay it before you in full humility, in full praise and confidence in who you are. This is our prayer, our Hosanna prayer. We lift up to you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we pray that you'd be blessed during this week, Uh, as Pastor Steve mentioned, we'll have um, a good Friday service uh, for you on Friday, our devotions during the week. But but in this moment, would you, I just invite you not to rush off to have lunch or to do what you're planning to do for the day. I wonder, could you take a few moments and reflect on this if you're by yourself or discuss some of this with people around you? And we'll offer some questions or some activities you can do to engage one another at home. And there'll be a, a, a clock, a countdown clock that will uh, be at the bottom of the screen to show you uh, when the next question or the next activity will come up. And would you just take that time and allow God to speak into your heart and allow God to do something new in you? We believe in a God of power. And God, this God of power has a will and a purpose that is unfolding in front of our very eyes. And it is a plan to make all things new. And we are invited into that. Pray that you remember that and be encouraged by that here this week. Have a great week. God bless you guys.